Good morning, folks, and welcome to this hour of programming on American Family Radio. My name is Ray Pritchard. If you're a regular listener to the morning hours, uh, you normally hear me an hour later. I'm one of the co-hosts along with uh, of today's issues, along with Tim and uh, Ed sometimes, and Fred and Chris and Steve and the whole gang. But this week, it's my privilege to host this hour which normally, of course, is financial issues. Second hour with Dan Celia. Dan is recovering from a case of COVID pneumonia. Our prayers have been with him. We uh, we love Dan. Dan, if you're listening this morning, we miss you. We look forward to having you back on the airwaves before too long. And uh, we just you're an important part of the AFR family. So Dan, know that we are praying for you. We love you very much. It's Monday morning. Here in America and around the world, 10 o'clock on the East Coast, it's 9 o'clock Central Time, 8 o'clock in Denver, it's 7 o'clock out on the Pacific Coast, and I was just thinking, it's 5 p.m. in Kiev, Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, My wife and I have been to Ukraine a couple of times now, uh, speaking at the Word of Life Bible Institute, which is on the east side of that great city, teaching the Bible there. And, and in all the, my wife and I were talking about this over the weekend, in all the of our travels around the world to Uganda, to Philippines, to South Korea, uh, to many different places, I don't think we've ever been to any place that touched our hearts more than to be with the fine young people and the faculty staff of the Bible Institute there outside of Kiev. A sense of being on the front lines of spiritual conflict and warfare. And here we are now. Here we are. The eyes of the world are focused on what's happening in Kiev and across the the uh, country of Ukraine, the Russian invasion, uh, people wondering, what does the future hold? So let me tell you what we're going to do in this hour. I'm going to talk to you from the Word of God here for a few minutes from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We're going to just take a look at some verses in Revelation chapter 6, the opening of the of the seals, the, 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 the book of the coming redemption of the earth. The, the, the Lamb is the only one who could break those seals. We're going to do that and talk about some of the events of the world in light of Bible prophecy and where do we stand in terms of Bible prophecy. Then we're going to have a time of prayer. Then later on in this hour, i got some questions that folks have been asking me, a little bit of Ask Pastor Ray. Uh, one of the questions I've been asked is, uh, how can I know that I am truly a Christian? And I find that people going to church, people sometimes been baptized members of churches for many years, still wonder, am I really a born-again true child of God. We're going to talk about that and today in Bible prophecy and uh, a few other important spiritual questions in the second uh, segment of our time together. And then in the final section, I'm going to be talking about a book I wrote that uh, is now in print over a million copies, a little gospel book called An Anchor for the Soul. I want to introduce you to that because during the final section of each of the hours this week, I want us to go through the gospel, just make sure we're squared away about what the good news really is. So I go to the, I go to my computer, pick up my cell phone this morning, look at USA Today, look at Fox News Online, look at the Drudge Report, and the eyes of the world are focused on what is happening in Ukraine. 
you, you turn on the news, MSNBC or CNN or Fox News or any of the other Newsmax or any of the other sources, everybody's talking about the same thing. Uh, is Ukraine going to be able to stand up against the Russian invasion? Well, I'm not here to talk about the news side of that. We've got a lot of programs during the day that do that, but I, I do want to talk about the, the biblical picture of Bible prophecy and where we are as we approach the end times. And I suppose there's no passage more fascinating for us to look at than Revelation chapter 6. For 2,000 years, Christians have wondered about these strange, startling symbols. I mean, what are these seals and who are these four horsemen and how does all this relate to the second coming of Christ and if we read these verses what is it that we can actually learn about the future so let me just read a couple of verses and we'll talk about them for a moment this is Revelation chapter 6 and if you're in a place where you've got a copy of the word of God you can just open it and follow along with me this is what the Bible says remember these are visions that John saw when he was in exile on the island of Patmos, which was a little island in the Aegean Sea, not that far off the coast of, well, they called it then Asia Minor today, the country of Turkey. Uh, John was in exile before his testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw this vision, and this is what he saw. Revelation 6, verse 1. Then I saw the Lamb upon one of the open, one of the seven seals. That is this seven sealed book. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. Now, if you go back to Revelation chapter 5, you remember that John saw a book, a book with seven seals. Probably that little book is the title deed to the earth. And the great question is, who is worthy, who is qualified to open that book, which contains God's final plan for the redemption of the earth. And there was great weeping and sadness throughout heaven because nobody was found worthy to open the book. And then here is the lamb standing as if slain. He and he alone is worthy to open that book. Now, understand that in the unfolding prophecy of the book of Revelation, when all the seals are opened, the earth will be fully redeemed, and Christ's victory is going to be announced to everyone. Now, in Revelation 6, here's what we have. Jesus Christ, the great Lamb, the Lamb of God, he begins to open these first six seals one by one by one. Now, ask a question. When do these things happen? Clearly, they happen in the closing days of human history. I would say they happen after the rapture of the church during the coming future seven-year tribulation period. They're opened one right after another. So, Jesus opens the first seal. Out comes a rider on a white horse. He's holding a bow. He's going forth to conquer. He's going forth to wage war. He's going forth to conquest over the whole earth. 
Who is the rider on the white horse? I believe that's not Jesus. I believe that's the counterfeit. That's the Antichrist. The bow is a symbol of warfare and conquest. Crown means he's going to have great victory. He goes forth as a conqueror bent on conquest, meaning the first great event of the coming tribulation is the revelation of the Antichrist. Now, I noticed this morning on the Drudge Report that Matt Drudge put up there some link to an article where some people are calling Vladimir Putin the Russian premier, really the the dictator, the totalitarian leader of Russia, calling him the Antichrist. Well, I don't know. It's a little bit premature to say that, and I don't think we're going to be able to know in advance. And frankly, I don't know who the Antichrist is going to be. I don't think he's been clearly revealed on the earth yet. If we are indeed living in the days just before the, the rapture of the church, then no doubt the Antichrist is alive. Could it be Putin? Sure. But I think there's a long list of people who might be the Antichrist. So we don't know when we read Revelation 6 who this person is going to be. We just know he's going to be revealed. Verse 3, Jesus opens the second seal. I heard a second living creature say, come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its rider, now notice this phrase, was allowed to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another. In a sense, what's happening in Ukraine is just a a tiny picture, tiny foretaste of war that's going to spread over the whole earth. And a large sword was given to him. So the first seal is the Antichrist. The second is war itself. I noticed the phrase, and power was given. It's a reminder, isn't it, that all power rests with God. All power rests with God. No one, not even Satan, can work evil in the world unless power is given to him. We go to verse 5, the third seal. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there was a black horse, And the rider had a set of scales in his hand. Third seal is famine. Famine, which is going to lead to enormous suffering on the earth. Verse 6, then I heard of something like a voice among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. In other words, a denarius was a day's wage in the first century. In the last days, a man's going to work all day to provide the money for just one meal. Usually, one denarius would buy eight measures of wheat and maybe 24 of barley. Money is now worth one-eighth of its previous value. In other words, in the last day, it's going to be a period of, get this, hyperinflation. Prices will skyrocket. It's the law of supply and demand. No one will grow. No one will produce. Everyone's going to hoard the necessities of life. Now, folks, over the weekend here in Kansas City, went to fill up my car, and I noticed that in just one week, the price of gas has gone up here in Kansas City from 310 to 350, and I get the I get the unleaded, the basic stuff. The next level is 375. Above that now, here in Kansas City, it's four dollars a gallon. That's gone up. What? Uh, it's gone up just. Well, the gas I buy forty cents a gallon in just one week, but out on the West Coast it's what four fifty five dollars. I read somewhere this weekend, uh, some places in the U.S. it may be as high as six dollars. Um, prices are going up, up, up. If you think it's bad now, get ready 
for what's about to happen. Then you come to the fourth seal, verses 7 and 8. Then he opened, when he, Jesus, opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades, and Hades was following him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth. Now, I just want to stop here, make a quick, quick comment. Friends, hard times are coming to planet earth. When the first seal is open, here comes the Antichrist. When the second seal is open, war breaks out. When the third seal is open, famine spreads across the earth. When the fourth seal is open, then death comes to a fourth of the human race. These events, I believe, are yet future to us. And you may ask the question, how does how do, how do the events in Ukraine fit into the, the puzzle of end-time events? Just think of it this way. These are just the foreshadowings. These are just the foregleams of what is upon us. And I want to say this. You know the great point of Revelation chapter 6 is who is holding the book. We like to argue, is this fellow the Antichrist? And is this the mark of the beast? And what does 666 mean? But the real point of Revelation 6 is to say that even though terrible times are coming to planet Earth, Jesus holds the book in his hands. Friends, history is what? His story. History is his story. He is sovereign. He is the ruler. He is reigning. You've heard that old gospel song, I've read the end of the book and we win. Well, the truth is, the end of the book Jesus wins, and if you know Jesus, you will win too because you are joined with the greatest power in all the universe. I read somewhere that Christians ought to be the calmest people on earth because we know the Lord, and He holds the future in His hands. So, when you look at the news, when you read what's happening around the world, my friends, fear not, fear not. Our Lord is working out His plan. What does the sovereignty of God mean? It means God knows what He is doing, and He is doing it. Be encouraged. Well, folks, we're going to take a break. Stay tuned. We're going to have a time of prayer right after the break. And stay with us. More good programming to come. AFA Foundation Director Riley Wildman. A charitable gift annuity is perfect for AFA supporters with an eternal perspective like Lucy Overstreet. Psalm 78 tells us that we are to tell our children and our grandchildren and the future generations after them what the Lord has done in our lives and what the Word of God says. Lucy's charitable gift annuity will keep supporting this ministry for generations. I wanted something that would have eternal value, and that's the way I think of the American Family Association investment. Contact Riley Wildman and her staff at the AFA Foundation and find out if a charitable gift annuity is right for you. 800-326-4543, extension 345. Or visit our website, afafoundation.net. 
My life is not about me, it's about Him. This week on Truth For Life, we're concluding our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Find out how the Ark of God made its way back to Israel and how Samuel stepped into his leadership role to ignite Israel's spiritual transformation. Study along with us on Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, weekday mornings at 1130 Central on AFR and online at AFR.net. Today's Issues is American Family Radio's flagship program featuring AFA President Tim Wilder. They're going to deny this till the Lord comes back. And others, staff and friends of the American Family Association. Did they leak this? Was it intentional? Was it an accident? We want more answers. It's a part of history. You know, we need to know. Today's Issues, with the help of American Family News, making sense of the issues of the day. Weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. Ray Pritchard here. Uh, in about 30 minutes, today's issues is going to come on. That's normally where you hear me. I'm normally on with the gang. But this week, it's my honor to sit in for Dan Celia. We are praying for Dan as he recovers from COVID pneumonia. Thank you for being with us. So what's on your heart today? The Bible says, um, in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything, meaning in hard times and difficulty. I mean, this is Monday morning. We've, we've got a great week in front of us. This is the day the Lord has made. And yet we do need to be praying, don't we? I've already mentioned uh, people we know, friends in Ukraine and difficulties over there. Uh, this morning as my wife and I were having our prayer time together. You know, we started, Marlene and I started um, praying together in a new way at the beginning of the pandemic, and we've just sort of kept at it. We we do some Bible listening. We we play audio version of the Bible on YouTube or our version or Bible Gateway. And when the pandemic started a couple years ago, my wife had already been listening to the Bible, and I said, hey, do you mind if I join you? And so she sits in her chair, and I sit in my recliner, and we started in the book of Job two years ago just listening to it and all the way through the Bible, two or three chapters a day and praying together. And so we've gone through the Bible twice now, and we just finished Genesis and the book of Exodus. And this morning, then we, we, we listen to the Bible and talk about it a little bit, and then we pray together. And this morning, we just started talking about people we know who have COVID. We have three or four or five people like that, and then we, we've got some friends who are uh, in the hospital with various ailments, some who have undergone various surgeries and things, and then this long list of people uh, with, you know, if you just go over the, the people you know who are struggling and difficulty and with, with kids and grandkids and prodigal children and marriages in trouble and churches that are struggling and financial needs, uh, I said to my wife this morning, um, I don't know, it just hit me. I have trouble remembering 20 or 30 or 40 names uh, every day just to go over them in my mind. And here's the Lord in heaven who he knows us by name. He numbers the hairs on your head. He calls the stars by name. Uh, He knows who you are. He knows where you are. 
He knows what's troubling you this morning, and uh, he knows the things that keep you up late at night. He knows the things that were bothering you last night, and uh, he knows the things that you've got to do this week. Well, I want us to go to the Lord and have a time of prayer together. It just seems like, um, given what I read from the book of Revelation, chaos in the world, chaos in our families, trouble all around us, so much economic uncertainty, and there's sickness and people struggling and financial needs and all the things we just talked about. We have a friend in high, in high places. I, I read those verses from Hebrews chapter 4, and I, I'm so encouraged that we have one who has been tempted in all points like we have been tempted and tested. He has gone through what we have gone through, yet without sin. And he has passed through. Hebrews says, he is, you can't see me, folks. I'm pointing my finger up to show you something on the radio, that we have a friend in high places who can hear us when we pray. In other words, we've got a friend where we need him. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ who is there listening to us, who's advocating for us, who's, uh, who is taking up our case before God the Father in heaven and who himself is interceding for us right now. So I guess I'm saying that, look, folks, we need to bring our fears to him. We need to bring our concerns to him. We need to say, Lord, we love you and we trust you. And so, Father in heaven, we come in Jesus' name. We come believing because... We know that we have a Savior who is exalted to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty in heaven. We come in the name of Jesus. We come believing in him. Lord, we come to you because where else could we go? Whom have we in heaven or on earth who is like you? We come with no merit of our own. We make no claims. Lord, we're not fools. We know we're sinners. We know, Lord, without you we can do nothing. We know the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from every sin. And standing on that and believing in that, we come to you. Father, we make bold to, to pray for those who are hurting, for those who are sick, for those who are struggling, those who have the COVID, those who have had surgery, those who are struggling with cancer, with strokes, with heart attacks. Lord, those who have been hurt in some way, we pray, Father, that you will touch them with your healing Power. We pray you'll raise them up. Father, we think of friends and loved ones who are struggling spiritually this morning, some who once walked with you, who are now far, far from you. We think of prodigal sons and daughters and prodigal grandkids and prodigal husbands and wives and uh, friends of ours. Lord, we don't know how to reach them, but you do. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it whichever way he wants. So, Lord, we believe you hold the hearts of our loved ones in your hands right now. Lord, we've got some friends who are in the far country of sin. They don't understand. They don't see clearly. Some of them, Lord, are running as fast as they can away from you. We're praying, oh, God, do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Lord, nothing held back. Do whatever it takes to touch the hearts of prodigal sons and daughters with your spirit, Open the eyes of their heart that light from heaven may come flooding in, that they might see themselves, that they might see you. They might turn back and return to you. Lord, we love you. 
We do believe in you. We thank you that you hold this world in your hands because there's so many questions we have. We pray for an end to the conflict in the Ukraine. We pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters over there who are struggling. We pray for those who at this moment are fleeing for safety from the bombs and from the, from the guns and from the warfare. We pray for those who are struggling in that region of the world. Oh, Lord God. We know there will be no peace on this earth until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, returns. But we pray, Lord, today that you would bring out of this conflict a just and lasting peace in that part of the world. Father, we do pray for our president. We pray for the vice president. We pray for the Supreme Court. And we pray for members of Congress. Oh, God, bend the leaders of this country to justice. Bend them toward your truth. We pray that you will give them a spirit that desires to honor you in all that they do. So, Lord, we love you, we believe in you, and we trust you. Help us to serve you today and do things that are pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, I have been asked some very fascinating Bible questions. And by the way, as we're going through this week, I want to take a little time every day to answer some of these questions. And you can write me comments at AFR.net, comments at AFR.net. We've got an amazing staff here at American Family Radio. If you just put question for Pastor Ray in the, um, in the subject line, comments at AFR.net, if you write the question, uh, by email, they will get it to me, and I'm going to answer just as many as I can. So here's a question about Bible prophecy. Where does the world stand in relation to Bible prophecy? Well, the world stands in big trouble. That's where the world stands. Hebrews 12:26 tells us that God is going to shake this world before the coming of the Lord. And I believe we're seeing it happening all around us today. Remember, 2 Timothy 3.1 says that in the last days, well, the King James says perilous times. Other translations say dangerous times. And, and uh, actually, it's a word that means terrible, terrible. Times are going to come. When Jesus talked about the last days, he gave us this admonition. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. That's Luke chapter 21, verse number 28. Jesus here is inviting us to look in every generation, in every generation, to look at the world around us. And, you know, I agree with what Billy Graham used to say. He said, we ought to, we ought to read this way with the Bible in one hand and with the newspaper in the other. Because you read the newspaper, it tells you what's happening in the world. You read the Bible, it tells you what it means. And I believe if we look at all the things that are happening in the world around us, it's going to tell us that we are certainly, I believe, living in those last days. Who knows? Maybe the last hours before the coming of the Lord. I think all the pieces are coming in place. All the major players, I believe, are on the scene. So where do we stand in relation to the coming of the Lord? Well, we, uh, we ought to be glad because our redemption is closer today than it's ever been. We're closer to the coming of the Lord today than we were yesterday. We're going to be closer yet tomorrow. Now, am I saying Jesus is going to come today or tomorrow, or this week or this month or this year or next year? I don't know. I have no dates. In fact, let me tell you, friends, I don't even have any secret dates to share with you. 
All I do is do what you do. I read the Bible, and then I look at the, the world around me, and I just say there is a striking similarity between the events that are described in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation and what I see in the world around us. And I think maybe I'm just going to drop this here, and then i got to go to my next question, but I just want to drop this in. If you read the book of Revelation, here is the striking thing. Between, say, Revelation and the book of Daniel, it, this difference. The book of Daniel is very much focused on what's going to happen to the nation of Israel and the Gentile nations and the Gentile kingdoms from Daniel's day. You've got Babylon and Medo-Persia, Greece and the Roman Empire. Jesus, of course, was born during the days of the Roman Empire. But it's a focus on that part of the world and it's, it's, a, it's a panorama of history, but it's very focused on the Middle East. And yet when you come to the book of Revelation, it's a focus not just on the Middle East, but it's a focus on the, focus on the whole world. In fact, there's a, there, there's a Greek word that's used in the book of Revelation for the whole inhabited world, the whole world. I think we are living in a day of globalization. The Internet has made us... Uh, to live in a global village, so to speak. We are living in a day in which, well, just remember two years ago, something happened that had never happened in all of world history in the beginning days of the pandemic. In one week, in one week, the whole world shut down. I mean, Finland shut down and Paraguay shut down and Belarus shut down and Vietnam shut down, and the Philippines shut down, and the islands of the Pacific shut down, and Bolivia shut down, and the U.S. shut down, and, and France did. I mean, the whole world that had never happened like that. What happened two years ago, one week, the whole world shut down, telling us we are living in such an interconnected society that the events described in the book of Revelation, especially Revelation 13, about the mark of the beast, and no one could buy or sell unless they had the mark of the beast, Fifty years ago, uh, I was a student at Dallas Seminary studying under John Walford and Charles Ryrie and Dwight Pentecost and other great uh, men, great students of Bible prophecy. But one thing that those great men that no one could really understand 50 years ago, how the whole world could be controlled so that no one could buy or sell without the mark of the beast. I mean, everybody had ideas, but 50 years ago, that was before the age of the personal computer. Verily, today, we are living in an age where the events of the book of Revelation are, they're, they're possible. It's, it's, it's easy to see now how one man, the Antichrist, could come to power and he could gain total control over the whole earth. So where does the world stand in the light of Bible prophecy? It's in big trouble because Jesus is coming back. So people, you better get ready. Leads me then to my second question. Somebody asked me this, Pastor Ray, how can I know I am truly a Christian? Now, this is a person that was a member of the church. This is a person that had been baptized and they were very sincere. And this person said, Look, I know we have Baptist and Methodist and Lutheran. And, he, and then she said to me, uh, I know we have then it's Buddhist and, and Hindu. And, 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 and she named some of the other great religions of the world. What does it mean? What is, what, what's the difference between being a Buddhist or a Hindu and a Christian? And 
not just those Bible denominations, but how can I know? And that's really what she wanted to get to. How can I know that I am truly a Christian? Raises a good question. Can anyone really know? Well, the Bible says you can know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things are written that you may know, underline that, that you may know that you are a child of God. These things are written, written down in the Bible. God wants you to know that you're a child of God to as many, the Bible says, as believe in his name. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? You know it. Martin Luther called it the Bible in miniature. Billy Graham often preached on the great verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what, believeth, believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Read the Gospel of John. Did you know over 50 times in the Gospel of John, eternal life is predicated on the simple and singular condition of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? And you raise your hand and you say to me, Pastor Ray, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, it, it's more than just mentally saying, I know who Jesus is. I mean, I can say, I know who President Biden is, but I don't know him personally. I can say, I go to Mount Rushmore, and I know which one is Washington and which one is Lincoln and Jefferson and Roosevelt. I can say, I know who these great people are. I can even say, I believe that there was a man who, whose name was Jesus who lived and died, and I can even say I believe he rose again. But true saving faith is more than simply giving mental assent to the facts of who Jesus is. It's knowing who he is, and it is trusting in him and him alone to take all that you are and to rest it completely upon him. You know, that's the meaning of the word trust in uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord is to trust all that you are to all that he is. If you will come to Jesus that way, you will be saved. Now, friends, I want you to stay tuned. Music means we're coming up on a break, but I'm going to say just a word or two more about this after the break. So stay tuned. More good programming to come from American Family Radio. We'll be right back. should face some sort of consequences at the very least what you put on there should be true and if it's not true then it should be actionable major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint the american family association will no longer be canceled announcing afa streaming our own video streaming platform which will allow access to all afa video content afa streaming is now available learn more at afa.net 
AFA Accident. Announcing AFA.net slash connect. One news now. It's the one click that will link you to so many AFA platforms. Pick and choose which updates you want to receive. Easily subscribe or unsubscribe. American Family Studio. And to quote our privacy policy, American Family Association will not sell, rent, or lease your personal information to outside organizations. AFA Journal. Make a better connection with AFA at afa.net slash connect. Here are Tim and Riley Wildman for the AFA Foundation. Riley, I know Dan Celia uh, works with us at the AFA Foundation. In fact, he advises you guys all the time, and you hear about him talk about the AFA Foundation on his radio program. Uh, so you work closely with Dan? Yes, sir, I do. And so it, so does Chelsea and Jessica. So Dan Celia of, of Financial Issues, the charitable gift annuity is probably the most popular product, if you will, that you guys offer in the AFA Foundation. What does that do? You basically give a lump sum to AFA, and then in return, you receive a fixed amount uh, coming back to them for the rest of their life. And then when they pass away, the money is left to AFA to um, leave a legacy. Contact Riley Wildman and her staff at afafoundation.net or call 800-326-4543, extension 345. And welcome back to our final segment of this hour. I'm Ray Pritchard. Normally, you hear me as co-host on today's issues. My honor this week during this hour to fill in for Dan Celia. Dan, we love you. We miss you. Dan's in our prayers. We hope he's going to be back uh, hosting financial issues before too long. Now, before the break, I was talking about the question, how can I truly know that I am a Christian? I am I'm often surprised by how many times uh, this question comes up. Maybe I'll say this another way. I'm often surprised by how often, how many people inside the church really struggle with this question. And there are people just on the fringes of the church. Maybe, maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe they were baptized, and maybe they go sometimes, or they, they, they're just out there in that gray zone. They're not in the church, but they're not out of the church. I just, but also, people who are elders and deacons and uh, just good, loyal members of our local congregations really struggle with this question. Can I really know? How can I really know that I am a Christian? Uh, I was doing a radio talk show program on a national program. Oh, this would be some years ago now. And just taking calls from people around the country. And a young girl called. She might have been 11 or 12 years old. Usually we get calls from older people. But that night we got a call from this young girl. And she was so sweet and so sincere. She said, I just don't know. How can I how can I really know that I'm a Christian? Ask her name. I believe she said her name was Angela. And I said, Angela, it really comes down to this. It's really not about you. And it's really not about your faith. It's really about who Jesus Christ is. That's the bottom line of all this. And I I pause here to say, because it's a really important principle for us to think about. Friends, if you base your Christian life or your Christian certainty or your Christian assurance off the person you happen to see when you look in the mirror in the morning, 
Well, depending on how your day has been going or how your week has been going or how well you feel about yourself, uh, you're going to struggle a lot. If all you have to go on is how well you think you're doing, how, how much you think you pray, and how much you read the Bible, and how many verses you've memorized, and whether you were in church last Sunday, and how you treated your wife or your husband or your kids, or uh, how good you've been at witnessing, or how much money you've given, or how sincerely you've prayed for missionaries around the world, whatever it is, whatever it is, let me say this. As long as you focus primarily on yourself, you are going to be disappointed. Because, uh, listen, let me just say it this way. Raise your hands out there in radio land. Raise your hands if you'd say to me, Pastor Ray, I know I read my Bible as much as I should. Raise your hands. Uh, I'm looking now. I don't see a single hand raised, including my own. Second question, how many of you would say, Pastor Ray, I know that I pray plenty. I pray all that I need to pray. I'm looking. I don't see a single hand raised, including my own. Here's the third question. How many of you would say, Pastor Ray, I treat everybody perfectly all the time, and I never lose my temper, I never get critical, I never say anything dumb, and uh, I'm always on time, and I'm extremely kind to everybody, and I'm just perfect in the way I treat other people. Look, forget it. Just just forget it. Because let me tell you, if, if you raised your hand, I wouldn't believe you anyway, and neither would anybody else. I mean, let's be honest. Have you ever... You ever looked in the mirror and just said to yourself, or question, am I the only one who's done this? You ever looked in the mirror and just gone, what is wrong with you? Now, first of all, you'd only do that when you're by yourself, okay? But when you're by yourself, you ever look in the mirror, what is wrong with you? I mean, what is wrong with you, buddy? What's wrong with you, brother? What's wrong with you, sister? Why did you say that? You knew that was an unkind thing to say. Why did you do that? You knew that was a dumb thing to do. And, and why didn't you reach out a helping hand? You had a chance to make a difference and maybe to pray for somebody. What is wrong with you? You know, the truth is, there is no difference. Romans 3.22, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no difference between rich and poor. There's no difference between male and female. There's no difference between old and young, and whether it's American or Brazilian or Argentinian or Ukrainian or Chinese or Mongolian, I don't care. Or, 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 or somebody from Thailand or Vietnam or, or Indonesia, we're all in the same boat. The Bible says, for there is no difference. I think maybe the hardest doctrine, and, and by the way, I'm going to get back to the story. I mean, a story, I'm talking about that little girl I talked to on the radio, I'm I'm making my long way around the barn here, people. I'm just trying to get a point home. I think the hardest doctrine in the Bible for the human heart to grasp is the doctrine of the grace of God. Now, I admit, I admit the Trinity is a puzzling doctrine. I believe the Bible teaches it. I believe it, and it is hard for us as humans to understand. But I believe on a completely different level. Maybe the hardest doctrine in all the Bible to understand is the doctrine of the grace of God. Because the doctrine of the grace of God asks us to admit two things that we do not want to admit. Number one, if we're going to believe in the grace of God, 
we got to admit there is nothing, naked nothing, we can do to save ourselves. I don't want to admit that. I just don't. I mean, in my natural self, I want to think there is, oh, there's something I can do. In football terms, I'm okay with the notion that Jesus can carry the ball 95 yards down the field, but then I want to say to Jesus, give me the ball. I can take it the last five yards into the end zone. Salvation does not work that way. Grace of God means there's nothing I can do to save myself. And number two, it forces me to say, if God, if I'm going to be saved, God is going to have to save me because there is nothing I can do to save myself. That's why the most basic, the most basic statement about salvation in all the Bible is what's found in the Bible. Salvation is of the Lord. It's of the Lord. It starts with God. It continues with God. It ends with God. If we are going to be saved, only God can save us. In some ways, as the old, old, old hymn, which we don't sing much anymore, but old, old hymn says, you must lay your deadly doing down. So, uh, by the way, have you ever been to the Holy Land? I know uh, Tim and Allison Wildman leading a tour to the Holy Land here soon. If you've never been with them, you need to you need to get on the bus and go with them to the Holy Land because uh, they've been many times wonderful tour. Whenever you go to the Holy Land, one of the places you're going to visit is the Bethlehem, of course, birthplace of our Lord. Now, it's true that we don't know the exact spot in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. We don't know that. But there's an ancient church there, maybe maybe the oldest church in the Holy Land, certainly one of the oldest churches in all the world, Church of the Nativity, built over the reputed spot where Jesus was born. And the, the tradition goes back at least 1,800, maybe 1,900 years. So when you go to that church, Church of the Nativity, if you're not, if you're not on the very spot where Jesus was born, you are in the neighborhood. You're not far away. So this is one of those ancient churches in the Holy Land that has been built and destroyed and rebuilt and added on to. It's, whatever you think about these big churches we have here in America, it's nothing like that. It doesn't look or feel like uh, a typical 21st century American church. It's old and rebuilt and added on to. And here's the thing. I've always been struck by this whenever I've gone to Bethlehem, that in order to get into the church of the nativity, the the built over the reputed spot where Jesus was born, in order to get into the main sanctuary, very, very many, many centuries old, there's this tiny, tiny opening. Now, I'm a big guy. I'm about six foot three, six foot four, somewhere along in there. I'm that kind of tall, okay? And they have built it so that tall guys like me can't just walk right in. That you got to bend down, and for me, I got to bend down from the waist. I got to go way down through this unreasonably small hole, and but once you go through that tiny little opening, you're inside the church of the nativity, and it's it's beautiful, and it's of course very very old, and you, you're you're stepping into Christian church history. You, you go through that tiny opening, and then you're inside this vast sanctuary that just goes on and on and on, and. Uh, you kind of wonder to yourself, look, what's going on? You've got this church that everybody wants to visit, and you have to bend down to get into it. So I, I looked at it on one of my visits, and I noticed actually there's an archway there, beautiful. You kind of imagine one of these stone 
uh, stone archways built many centuries ago. And you think, okay, there used to be a normal huge entrance here. And you study it some more, and you realize most of the archway has been bricked in, and the only thing they didn't brick in was this tiny little opening where you got to kneel down to go inside the church. So I asked around, and this is what they told me. Back in the Middle Ages, the, the guys with money, the hot shots, the big shots, the, the landowners in and around Bethlehem, they, what they liked to do was they liked to show off their money and their power. They liked to come riding into the church of the nativity on horseback. That's very disrespectful. And dismount inside the church, inside the sanctuary. Well, the priests understandably didn't appreciate that at all. And they came up with a clever way to end all this horseback riding inside the church of the nativity. There was that archway there, and they bricked up the archway Everything except that little tiny, that little tiny opening, which forced all those bigwigs back in the Middle Ages, the wise guys, the smart guys, the guys who thought they were so good because of all their money and land, it said to them, you got to get off your horse and you got to go in this tiny entrance just like everyone else. What is the meaning of that? Friends, if you want to go to heaven, you got to get off your high horse. You got to humble yourself. You got to come down low. God hates the proud, but he draws near to the humble. And you say, well, how does all this tie in? It's really very simple. Do you want to go to heaven? You can go to heaven. You got to get off your high horse. Do you want to be forgiven? You can be forgiven. You got to give up all those good works. Do you want to know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? You can know that. You can have certainty in your heart. My friends, you can have that this very day. You can have it this very day. But you got to let go of your pride. You got to get off your high horse. You got to humble yourself and you got to come to God through Jesus Christ. You got to say, Lord, I know there's nothing I can do to save myself, but Jesus did it all, and I am trusting in him. And that brings me back at last to the phone call I had with that young girl many years ago on that national call-in radio program. She was so sincere and so sweet, and Angela wanted to know, how can I, how can I be sure that I'm a Christian? And I told her in short form what I've just told you in long form, and I said, Angela, it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. And I said, I just want to ask you this question. Is Jesus enough for you? Is he enough for you? Is his death on the cross enough for you? Is his resurrection rising from the dead? Is that enough for you? Is his perfect life? Is that enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? And she said, yes, he is. And I said, it's as simple as that. Hold on to Jesus. Put all your faith in him. Trust in him. And I want to say to you, my friends, going to heaven is simple and it's easy because Jesus has done the hard work. He has done the hard work. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He paid the price completely for all your sins. Are you willing to get off your high horse? Are you willing to 
let go of your church membership. You say, I'm a member of Wayside Bible Chapel. That's wonderful, but it'll not get you to heaven. You say, I'm an elder at Wesley Methodist Church. I'm happy for you, but that's not enough. You can say, Father O'Reilly baptized me when I was a baby, and he was such a good man. I'm sure he was. That's not enough. Somebody out there might say, Pastor Ray, you baptized me years ago. That's a wonderful thing, but I guarantee you, my baptism is not going to get anyone into heaven. What you have to do is let go of all the stuff you're holding on to and come, come with empty hands. As the old hymn says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. How can I know that I am a Christian? Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your good works. And by the way, I know Ephesians 2 says we are saved for good works. And I believe in good works. I believe in living for the Lord. But you know what? Who's ever going to be able sure to be sure that they have done enough, they've prayed enough, they've read the Bible enough, In the end, if any of us, if any of us show up in heaven, it will be through the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you truly know you're a Christian? Yes, you can. If you can simply say, Jesus is enough for me, and I am trusting in him. If you can say that and mean it and believe it, then you can know that tonight, if you should die tonight, you will go to heaven. My friends, that is the great good news of the gospel. Folks, Jesus is in heaven. He's praying for us. He loves us. He's standing for us. He's interceding for us. May I say to you, trust in him. And let's spread the good news around the world. Because since Jesus died and rose again, anybody, anywhere, anytime can be saved. Don't keep that to yourself. Let's share the good news. Well, the music means this hour has come to an end, but guess what? In just a few minutes, Tim and the gang will be here for today's issues. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to take a break, and then we'll be back with more wonderful programming on American Family Radio. See you right back here tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.